Good evening. If you'd like to take out your Bible with me, please, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll begin reading in verse 10 here in just a moment. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Thank you for being here this evening. And I pray that the things that we talk about tonight will be helpful to us as we strive to live as God has called us to live this week. In sports, um, sometimes in sports, there is uh, an offense and a defense that are separated from one another. And people with very specific skill sets play on each side of the ball. Some play on offense, some play on defense. Uh, the NFL playoffs are going on right now, and the Super Bowl is coming up in a couple of weeks, and professional football is maybe a, uh, the best example of this. You have 11 guys on offense, you have another 11 guys in different positions on defense, and some of those positions mirror one another, but it is very rare, very unusual once you get to the pro or even the college level uh, for a player to play both offense and defense in football. Uh, what is the difference, for example, between a defensive back and a wide receiver? Well, defensive backs were usually receivers who weren't very good at catching the ball. You know, that was a skill that they needed to have. They could run and they could cut and they could get to the ball, but actually catching it was an issue. And so they said, why don't you go over here on defense and play defense on the wide receivers? In most other sports, you have to play both, though, right? You have to play offense and defense, depending on who has the ball. Basketball, for example, uh, my favorite sport, um, probably. Uh, basketball, for example, um, is that way. But it wasn't always that way. Did you know this? When my grandmother in, from West Texas was in high school, she played basketball. She was quite a basketball player. And the floor at that time for girls' basketball was divided into offensive and defensive halves. And so each team had three guards uh, who only defended and rebounded on their end of the floor, while their three best scorers, forwards, were used only on the offensive half of the court. And that's where we get those terms, guards and forwards. Some people actually called it by a different name, basket instead of basketball. And some places played this form of basketball for a long time. It was played in some high schools, especially small high schools in Texas until 1978. It was played in the state of Iowa in high schools until 1993. And in 1995, the last game of basket was played in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, anybody in here remember or has ever seen or played a game like this? Hudson played this kind of basketball. Uh, and supposedly, you know, this is kind of sexist if true, educators developed this form of basketball because they felt women were too delicate to go full court and subject themselves to this kind of physical pressure. Well, anyone who knows my grandmother, then or now, knows she was plenty good enough and plenty physical enough to play both offense and defense. But I'm afraid sometimes this is what we do when it comes to the spoken word of God. I think sometimes we relegate the spoken, memorized word of God to defense only. We use it to defend ourselves against the attacks of Satan. We, we pull out the word of God and read those scriptures or have those scriptures memorized but it's always for defense or maybe at the most counterattack. We never go on the offensive when it comes to the spoken or memorized Word of God. 
And so that's our lesson tonight, using the sword of the Spirit as an offensive weapon, not just a defensive weapon responding to the attacks of Satan, but using the spoken and memorized Word of God to go on the offensive, for us to do the attacking ourselves. And so that's what we find in Ephesians chapter 6 with this image of a soldier and the whole armor of God. And it describes various pieces of defensive armor. And, And let's just read that together beginning in verse 10. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, we're going to talk about these various pieces of armor. I did a sermon on this uh, just a few months ago. Uh, But what I would like you to do is think, as I read through each piece of armor, think to yourself, now is this something defensive or is this something offensive in a fight, in a battle? Okay? Let's read that together. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, offense or defense, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Offense or defense? Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, most of those things are defensive. Uh, We could perhaps use some of them for both, but most of them are primarily defensive. And the sword of the Spirit is defensive too, don't get me wrong, but this is our primary offensive weapon in our battle against the devil. There, There were two kinds of swords that soldiers would have used in Paul's day. One was a long, broad sword And that's not what Paul is referring to in this passage. He refers to that other type of sword, that short double-edged dagger or short sword. Uh, It was no more than a couple of feet long, and it's something that would have been used in close combat. It's something that had to be quick and effective and efficient. Um, You're not trying to bomb somebody from a thousand miles away. This is up close and personal battle. And Paul doesn't leave us guessing as to what it is he's referring to here when he talks about the sword of the Spirit, the sword that the Spirit supplies. We know that it is the Word of God. But we've talked before that the word that Paul uses here for Word of God is not the normal one that you would expect. It's not logos or or logos, some people say. Logos is the correct pronunciation. It's not the written word of God, it's Rima, which is the spoken word of God. And that makes sense, right? I'm not swinging the broad sword of the entire word of God, the entire Bible. Instead, I'm taking out a short sword that is quick and efficient with just a small portion of a particular passage of Scripture. So not Scripture as a category, but a particular specific portion of God's word. 
Uh, It's not the Bible in abstract. It's the Bible as it's used and specifically proclaimed in specific situations. Um, Now, you probably already knew all that. We've talked about all of that. Uh, And we know, for example, that this is what Jesus did in defense of the devil in Matthew chapter 4, right? It is written. And then he quotes basically a verse or two from the book of Deuteronomy in order to respond to the devil's attacks to him. So the sword of the Spirit can be defensive too, right? You think about somebody with a shield and a sword, they're going to block some things with the shield, but they're also going to block some things with the sword as well. And that is perhaps the most important function of the sword of the Spirit, that we can respond to the devil's attacks. I'm tempted with something, and I have this scripture at the ready to respond to that temptation. But I think sometimes we only use it for that, and we don't use it in any sort of offensive way. It's supposed to be both an offensive and defensive weapon. Do we use it for offense? Well, maybe we do to preach the gospel or convict others. Uh, You know, a situation comes up and we say, well, what about this verse? Have you thought about this verse in regard to that? That's offensive. But what about in our own lives, personally? I'm supposed to use this sword of the Spirit as an offensive weapon in my own life as well. And so I've encouraged you in times past to memorize swords and shields, specific verses or passages to use against temptation, but that's not what I want to talk about tonight. Instead, I want to encourage you to memorize swords, not shields, but swords, to move forward in righteousness as you're striving to live your life. And sometimes it's just a matter of perspective in the very same verses. Am I being proactive with this? Am I striving to be more righteous because of this verse that I've memorized and I'm reciting or speaking to myself? Or am I just being reactive? And I only bring up this verse when there is some temptation that comes into my life that causes me to need to pull out the sword. Does that make sense? Let me give you an example of this um, because it's an example that I've used in regard to uh, having a verse ready against temptation and personal to me. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Uh, I can recite it. You probably can as well. But let's just turn over there and look at it ourselves from the text. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now that is a great defensive passage to stop the attacks of the devil. And I have used and used and used that passage throughout my life When the devil tries to use my anger to turn into a sinful outburst of wrath. Is it good for that? I'm waiting. Absolutely. It is powerful. It's a powerful tool, a powerful weapon for that. But look at it from a different perspective tonight. Isn't it also a great offensive verse to live as God has called us to live? Is this a verse that I only need to take out when I feel anger welling up inside of me? Or would this be an awesome verse for me to recite to myself when I get up in the morning? Not because I'm angry, not because I'm afraid of getting angry, 
But instead, I'm going to recite this verse to myself because it will cause me to be a better listener. I'm going to recite this verse because I need to be swift to hear. That's important for me to live my life as a Christian, as I ought to. I'm going to recite this verse to myself because it's going to cause me to consider other people and their perspective and what they think and what they say. I'm going to recite this verse to myself because it's going to cause me to seek out the Word of God. And in the context, I need to be swift to hear God's Word and what God says and its wisdom. I'm going to recite this verse to myself because it's going to cause me to seek to produce the righteousness of God in my life and in the lives of others. And so, even though this verse is perfect to respond to a moment of temptation... From a proactive viewpoint, it's perfect for me to live my life in this way. Imagine, imagine if every day, no, that's that's too much. Imagine tomorrow, and tomorrow in everything that you did, you were swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, striving only to produce the righteousness of God. I mean, what would that day look like? How holy would that day be? Um, the job of being a critic or a reviewer is one that has always been fascinating to me. I've, I've got a, uh, one of my roommates in college, in fact, my first college roommate, that's what he does now. He reviews and writes about um, film scores. I mean, it's, it's like the, the nichiest niche thing ever, right? Um, and he's carved out this living doing that, being a, a critic, a reviewer of film scores and, and music and film and all of these sorts of things. But that job in general has always just been fascinating to me, not with film scores specifically, but, but being a, a critic or a reviewer. I mean, think about that job. I mean, you eat some food, probably really good food, and then you tell other people whether the food's good or not. I mean, that's good work if you can get it, right? I mean, you watch a movie or you play a game and you tell other people, yes, do this, or no, don't do this, because I've done it myself. Um, That's sometimes kind of what my job is. Uh, I feel like it is in some ways. Believe it or not, I kind of get to do that. I love trying things out for y'all. So I have this idea, sometimes it's harebrained, right? And I say, well, I wonder if this would be helpful in my Christian life. And so I try it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it really, really doesn't work. Uh, And so for those things that actually work, after a little bit of trial and error, I have the pleasure of bringing those things to you and saying, hey, I've tried this. This is pretty powerful. This works pretty well. And so too with the lesson this evening Uh, I want to share this idea that has worked for me uh, in using the Word of God as an offensive weapon. Here's here's it. Very simple. Choose a verse of the week to memorize, recite, and strive to live by. I mean, that's just reinventing the wheel, isn't it? I mean, just, you've never heard something so deep and meaningful. That's obvious, isn't it? But um, I'd never done that until here recently. And as I was thinking about the spoken word of God and using the sword of the spirit as an offensive weapon, I said, I'm going to try that. And so over a number of weeks here, um, the end of last year, beginning of this one, I've just had a verse. Uh, 
Occasionally it's more than one verse, but usually something very short, something that I can memorize very easily. And throughout my day, as I go through each day in the week, I recite this verse to myself sometime in the morning as I'm going through the day. And then I look at that verse at the end of the day. I recite it to myself, usually laying in bed right before I go to sleep and say, how did I do? Did I live as this verse would call me to live as a Christian? Um, I believe that that's using the Word of God, the spoken or memorized Word of God in an offensive way, and it's something that has been very helpful to me and hopefully can be helpful to you as well. Uh, Maybe it's not a verse of the week, maybe it's a passage of the month, and so you're memorizing a, a larger bit of Scripture, maybe several verses instead of just one or two, and say, over the course of this month, I'm going to memorize this section of Scripture I'm going to try and live by this section of Scripture. I'm going to recite it to myself. I'm going to bring it out to myself. I'm going to think about it through the day. I'm going to tell myself several times throughout the day what this Scripture says, and I'm going to try and live that way. Uh, In order to do that, we need to be intentional about memorizing it and memorizing it exactly. And there are lots of ways we can do that. If we're just talking about a verse or two, that's not particularly difficult uh, if you want to go, you know, high tech, there are a number of good apps for that. Scripture Typer is one that I've used in the past and some people still use. I've switched over to an app called Verses. Verses, you think like verses in the Bible. There's a free version and a paid version. The junior high kids are smiling because, well, you're not in junior high anymore, but uh, when I taught that class last year, 18 months ago or so, I introduced them to this app, Verses. And so you can play games in order to help you memorize some of those things, or you can just go low-tech, write it down and remember it, right? But we're memorizing just small bits of Scripture. These are not large chunks, just small bits. And so maybe the first time you do this, maybe start with a, a verse you already know well, a verse that you're already very familiar with. Uh, You think about a verse like Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So it's describing our Christian life, right? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Uh, Man, I meant to time and see how long it took me to read that. Um, That didn't take very long. If you have that memorized, it doesn't take very long to recite. Uh, But I found when I got to something about this long, I actually tried verses 13 through 16 to be my scripture of the week. I found that I just didn't recite it to myself as much. And so the next week, you know what I did instead? Um, I already know all this, uh, 13 through 15, you do as well. Uh, It's good to memorize and get it exactly, but what I started doing instead is throughout my day, I would just recite verse 16 to myself. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What if... In every decision that I made, in every action that I performed, in every thought that I expressed through my words, I was letting my light so shine before men 
that they see my good works and glorify my Father in heaven. It makes for a pretty good week. So maybe you start with something like that, something that you're very familiar with, something that you already know. Uh, You know that verse, but have you ever been intentional about quoting that verse to yourself as you go throughout the day? Have you ever done that? That's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe it's something that you stumbled upon in your own Bible reading or study that you see for the first time or it jumped out at you in a new way. I was reading through Philippians, and though I'm unsure about what my favorite sport is, I guess, my favorite book of the New Testament is the book of Philippians. And I've read through Philippians, I don't know how many, you know, hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times in my life. But there was something that jumped out at me uh, in a in a reading just, uh, maybe that was December or January, within the last couple of months. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 where Paul is talking about the things that he gave up that he might gain Christ. And this jumped out at me. I I don't know why I'd never seen it before. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. The word that jumped out to me that I'd never really put in this way before is that word counted. I have counted these things loss for Christ. Now, I'm going to preach on this at some point, so... uh, you know, just stay tuned. Eventually I'm going to do this. But I recited that verse to myself several times over the last couple of weeks because what I saw is it's not that Paul lost all things. Now, he lost a lot of things. He had to give up a lot of things. I've often read it that way, you know, and expressed it that way even. He just gave up everything for Christ. Is that true? He gave up a lot, but not really everything, everything. But what we see is he counted those things as loss. And if he lost all things, and we might all end up in a point in our lives where we've lost almost everything, he was okay with it because he had already counted those things as loss. He had already viewed them in in that way. I'm glad I have these physical things. I'm glad I have these blessings from God. But if I lost them, well, I've already counted them as loss. If that's what it takes in order to gain Christ. And so, as I went through the week, um, I would think about my blessings that I've received from God. And I would think to myself, have I counted those things loss that I might gain Christ? Um, And there was some soul searching that had to go on in that. But it was very helpful to my outlook and my attitude in regard to physical things, physical possessions, things along that line. Uh, maybe it's a verse that fits well into a week. Here's another one that I tried. Uh, psalm 103, 1 through 5. I, I love this little psalm, especially these first five verses. And so what I memorized were verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So that's the verse that I actually memorized. But then what I decided to do as I went through the week is he lists five things here that are benefits from the Lord. And, uh, you know, I think about my week and usually where I need the most help and direction is Monday through Friday. Um, Except when I'm coaching girls basketball on Saturdays, maybe I need help and direction more then. But generally in a normal week, that's what it looks like. So for each day of the week, that's what I focused on. Who forgives all your iniquities. And I thought about the sins that I've committed, 
I brought those to remembrance, and I thank God for forgiving me those things. I'm not going to forget all his benefits. That's my goal for the week. And so on Monday, I focused on forgiving your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. And so I thought about all of the occasions. Now, you can make the case that he's talking about more than physical illness here, but where I chose to focus on Tuesday of that week was was on physical illnesses and all of the times that we've prayed for people and those people have been made well. Now, there are times where people don't get well, even when we pray and pray fervently for them. But if they do get well, it's because God's hand is in it in one way or another. Who redeems your life from destruction? On Wednesday of that week, I tried to imagine what my life would be like without the Lord, without his benefits. And I thought about that concept of what a mess my life would be if I didn't have the Lord in my life. Uh, Thursday, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, all of the good things that I have in my life that ultimately come from God, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, and how God is a constant renewal in my life. Um, And so maybe it's something like that. There are a ton of passages in our Bible that can be used in that way. I've got a main concept, and that's what I'm going to memorize, and then I'll focus on another aspect of that that comes in the the verses that follow. Uh, Let me give you one other uh, idea in regard to where you might come up with these verses. We have a memory verse for each month that goes with our Sunday morning Bible classes for this past month, for the month of January, uh, it's Amos 3, 7, and 8. And that's what we read. That's our scripture reading before our Sunday morning services. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared who will not fear. The Lord God has spoken who can but prophesy. Uh, does that apply to us? Well, in a, in a secondary sort of way, absolutely it does. The Lord has spoken to me. The Lord has revealed his will to me and to all of us who seek that will in the Bible. And so we should be bursting at the seams to share that will with other people. It should be a natural reaction to what God has done for us. Uh, and memorizing this scripture, re- repeating it to yourself throughout the week will help you with that. In February, it's... It's a longer one. Um, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. Oh, this is a good one, isn't it? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's longer. So maybe it's a scripture of the month for you instead of a scripture of the week. And over the course of the month of February, which is just about to start, I'm going to memorize Isaiah 40, 28 through 31, and then recite it to myself and make application to the way I'm supposed to live my life. You see the concept, obviously, right? So uh, Christianity is a voluntary religion. 
If you're interested in doing this, take a moment to think about what scripture you're going to use to go on the offensive with the spoken or memorized word of God. Uh, And I don't want this to be something that is just, you know, hey, that was a cool idea and then we forget about it. So here's what I'm going to do. We're doing pretty well on time. I'm going to sit down for five minutes. And I want you to think about this, decide if you're going to do it, and then look and see what scripture you might use this week in order to accomplish that. Would you pray with me, please? Our great God and Father in heaven, we know that our battle, the one that we fight, is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we are so grateful for the spiritual weapons that you have provided for the whole armor that is yours, that you have given to us, that we might be able to do all to stand and that we might stand in the evil day. And we are grateful, Father, that these weapons are not just defensive against the attacks of Satan and his fiery darts, but they are also offensive, that they are proactive, that we might be more who you have called us to be, that we might go on the attack and the offensive. And we pray, Father, that as we consider your word, as we internalize it into our hearts and minds, as we memorize it and, and meditate on it, uh, that, we would, that we would gain the wisdom and the knowledge and the power to live as you have called us to live. I pray for all those who are in this room and all those who may be watching online that we would be who you have called us to be and that we might use what you've used to make it, what you've provided to make it so. We're thankful most of all for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross through which we might have final victory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you're here this evening and you need uh, another form of help, and that is from your brothers and sisters in Christ, or if you're not yet a Christian and you would like to come to Christ, uh, we would love to talk with you more, to study with you from God's word. And if there's something that you need to express or ask for of a public nature, won't you come now while together we stand and while we sing. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, God.